are you? Oh, good. We're back to that. The well, interrupting the introduction. Cow, thing. moo. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, that was a good joke. Do you remember that when you were the punchline to what did the interrupt interrupting moo! cow say? Yeah. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. Uh, yeah, this is thinking like a lawyer, which you could totally tell from the seriousness with which it began. Uh, I'm Joe Patrice from Above the Law. I am joined by Catherine Rubino. Uh, I was prematurely joined by Catherine Rubino, I guess. Uh, Yikes. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Always on time. Always on time. And now, on time, I'm joined by Chris Williams. We're from Above the Law. We are going to give you a rundown of some of the week's best stories in the legal world. The legal well, I think we'll also be giving you kind of an update as to what the best stories of the week were, Joe, because uh, you were you were not with us this I was not week. here, um, which I guess that signals the beginning of small talk, which, as we all know, means I'm going to play... Different sound effect here. I'm going to go with the Chris sound effect. Yeah. Amazing. That is. Uh, Speaking modestly, my voice is just so melodic. It's so good. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that could have been on the new Kendrick album. No, because then it would have actually been a good album. Don't get me started. Don't get me started. I mean, the whole point was to get you started on that. Uh, I've heard. I've heard spotty two and r's that had more content than that album wow 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 that is a debate <laughs> the black body. right there <laughs> some deep debate nerding yeah. that's why the plant doesn't saw yeah like oh i miss i missed the double clutching <laughs> fair enough uh so yeah uh not a fan of so that album, uh, did you listen to some music this weekend chris is that, that what we're hearing here Oh, uh, yes, I did listen to something besides the uh, Kendrick dissertation masquerading as music. Um, <laughs> <laughs> listen to some uh, some nice, uh, a great, a great artist, Future. I, I enjoyed the, mm-hmm. the, the Future album uh, dropped a while ago. Uh, not even a while ago. It's, I guess like last month. Anyway. Well, then it's the, then it's the past album. Oh, Boo. No. Boo. Boo. <laughs> tomato this man. No. <laughs> tomato, um, tomato. <laughs> Boo. Eh. No. Um, what is it? Uh, Ooh, you suck. There you go. Jesse, <laughs> that's a sound I can get behind when it's towards Joe Patrice. Uh, shouts out to the firm that enjoys the sound effects. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so this weekend... For the nerds and bastards that understand what level of hell I went through to do this, I'm playing a soul level run run through of Elden Ring, and oh. I beat the fire giant, and I'm now in crumbling fire Missoula, and I'm about to fight the Godskin duo. And for everybody else who has no idea what that means, you now mm-hmm. know what it's like when you're a law- when your non lawyer friends hear you talk about work. <laughs> there you go. Way yeah. to br- bring it full circle. Thinking yeah, um, yeah, yeah. like a lawyer. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been hearing from our old colleague and former host, uh, co-host of this show, Ellie Mistal. I've been hearing a lot about his Elden Ring adventures. So, oh. yeah, I, I do not play it, but I have I have heard how difficult oh. that is. It's 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 in like oh, it's for people who for Catholic priests or like who are like or like the old like uh, what is it aesthetics who are like. Oh, I'm tired of hitting my back with a whip. Just get Elden Ring. It's the same <laughs> thing. Same thing. Better graphics. You know? Amazing. Um, Amazing. But yes, it's, it's, it's a very rewarding weekend. I went to went up with my my friends in New York. Um, they got some tattoos. And uh, I, got a, I got a cool sweatshirt. It has like a cute bunny on it. It says, be fucking nice. 
So mm, okay. it's nice to, you know, spread joy in my little um, idiosyncratic way with threats. Um, yeah. So, yeah, good weekend on this side. That's yeah. Uh, I personally enjoyed that. It was pretty. It was is basically spring at least at least spring, possibly summer this this weekend. And it looks like we're actually turning have officially turned the corner, and it's nice out. I spent most of Saturday outdoors. Who does that? Who does who does that? <laughs> Apparently me. Look at that. Look at that. So that part was also really nice. And uh, spring has sprung, and and I'm I'm really I'm into it. I'm into it. I won't be. I'm sure. Once I'm like the heat, the worst parts of the summer. But right now I'm very excited to not be freezing cold constantly. How about you, Joe? What did you do this weekend? No, I was not going to go into what I did this weekend. I was going to utilize the entree that you gave to ask me about small talk to then transition to a topic a little bit. So this is this is kind of the end of of small talk right here. This this is going to pour a little out for small talk. I mean, it's not it's not over yet. Right? Like, I mean, it can only be over when we hear the end of the... See? It's terrible, people. Yeah. So, no, but again... uh, But you weren't here because... The transition is I wasn't here because I was attending the Clock uh, Global Institute, which is the Corporate Legal Operations Consortium, I think. Not... uh, Like, I always screw up exactly who it is because it is so very much clock. I was at that, uh, which it's already been alluded to that I was, I was told while I was there by somebody I met with that they specifically love the, uh, the sound effect and it gets them every time. They're not expecting I'm coming it for you. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Anywho. So I was there. Uh, this is, you know, less, uh, politically significant than maybe some of the stories we've had to talk about lately, but it was an interesting event to attend. It's my first time attending it because it's just never been on my radar as much as some of the other shows that I go to. Uh, I thought it was fascinating. It was very interesting to see something from the corporate side and the transactional side, because I'm much more a former litigator. So that transactional side has always been a bit of a mystery to me. Uh, But this was interesting. So did you crack the code? I mean, I met a lot of uh, I met a lot of folks and learned a lot of things about how it operates. So this is a show basically where uh, several years ago, this this is a job that didn't even exist, let alone a conference that didn't exist. Uh, there was for decades and decades, in-house counsel has operated as a series of silos, basically, that meet at a general council. And mm-hmm. that's about mm-hmm. it. Over the past few years, uh, starting basically with a book club like less than a decade ago. The job of legal operations has basically been created. The idea of having someone, maybe a lawyer, maybe not a lawyer, but someone in a role under the general counsel who really runs the department operations, as opposed to having a general counsel whose skill set may not be that sort of management. There's a real sense of handing this off to someone who's a professional at streamlining the legal op- the legal department's processes. This show was giant. It was the biggest thing the Bellagio had hosted in three years, which obviously there was a pandemic in there. That's but probably I mean, still, a big reason why, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, we've been quote unquote back for a year and it still Have was, yeah, and it was still, it was still bigger. So what's one of your big takeaways from the show? My big takeaway was this creation of this legal ops role, which mm-hmm. when I first started hearing about it several years ago, I thought, well, that's a, kind of a flash. Uh, I don't know if flash that'll catch pan. on. Uh, it clearly has. And it's exciting to the extent that we always talk about lawyers being Luddites who don't understand the power of technology. Sure. The fact that these departments are handing over a lot of this operational power to 
folks who are motivated uh, to advance the advance and streamline the profession, now all of a sudden these corporate legal departments are really utilizing their spend on new solutions to things. I saw a lot of cool stuff reconnected with somebody that I uh, worked with at, at Cleary who now has a product out there that basically utilizes, leverages AI to pull key contract terms and just put them out there for everybody to see, uh, which benefits not just the legal department, but sales and everything too. I talked to a company that is allowing companies to get on top of hundreds and hundreds of contracts, understand what's out there, pull data from it, benchmarking, very interesting stuff to just mm-hmm. hang out and learn. So yeah, uh, the, the transactional departments are, uh, transactional work, which is the bread and butter of a lot of these legal departments, especially to the extent they interact with the rest of the business units. Yeah, there's a lot mm-hmm. going on there. It's an exciting place, especially after a lot of the shows I go to, you know, the e-discovery shows and stuff like that, uh, that you don't feel like the people at those conferences are there to really buy new things and and so on. But everybody I was talking to there was, I'm here to figure out what I want to make our department's new billing operation mm-hmm. or billing platform or whatever. So very interesting, really had a lot of fun. And I think we will be adding this to our yearly rotation of conferences to go to because I learned a lot of stuff by chatting with people there. Great. Mm-hmm. And one of the things, of course, being that everyone generally likes our sound effects. Mm-hmm. That's the big. That's well, and everyone big has a role to play, which I think in another kind of key takeaway, right? Hmm? I just thought that you were going to. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. I was trying to help. I was trying to. I know. Well, I, I wasn't help. going to give you that satisfaction, but yes. Uh, that, that, <laughs> Why make it be a smooth transition? That, I mean, that, that come ring, on. That we can make it like, awkward. I'll be honest. Like, it looked like uh, Joe didn't get it, but that's okay because he doesn't have to because of our sponsor. <laughs> All right. There we go. Oh, well done. <laughs> Nicely so from, played. Nicely Let's played. hear from Posh. As a lawyer, ever wish you could be in two places at once? You could take a call when you're in court, capture a lead during a meeting. That's where Posh comes in. We're live virtual receptionists who answer and transfer your calls so you never miss an opportunity. And the Posh app lets you control when your receptionist steps in. So if you can't answer, Posh can. And if you've got it, Posh is just a tap away. With Posh, you can save as much as 40% off your current service provider's rates. Start your free trial today at Posh.com. All right. So back. So, what's uh, what's the big legal stories so, of the week? Uh, certainly one of the bigger impacts, uh, I think, is a story that Chris actually covered uh, for us. And it uh, looks like the Fifth Circuit is through the looking glass on this one. Listen, so there was a... That's oh. glass breaking. That yeah, oh. wasn't a great one. But yeah, that's okay, what I was trying to okay, do. Okay, okay. All right, go. Speaking of times, I wish I had some censorship. Oh, okay. <laughs> so there was, a, there was a case that went through to the Fifth Circuit. Um, where I think it was Texas did something that was clearly like the government restricting speech. Uh, they, you know, this we, we have this weird thing in America where corporations are people, right? And they're targeting corporations that have I think it was 50, the cutoff is like fifty million or so uh, active followers or users, basically accusing them of viewpoint discrimination because they would do things like take down posts that are like oh clan bombing black churches not too bad like they would just say racist things (laughs) and you know 
that violated like terms of service and like say Twitter or Facebook or somebody would take it down and they're like, oh, you're silencing the rights, pe- people's right to speak. And apparently the the Fifth Circuit was like, yeah, you can't do that. But I'm like, this is this is compelling speech. <laughs> like, yeah. uh, this is just straight up compelling speech. And it's wild that this is coming from the right, <laughs> who's yeah. usually like corporations well, overall is. Once again, what this proves is that the right does not have, they they have kind of pulled the wool over the public's eyes, pretending like there's some sort of a coherent judicial philosophy as opposed to this is the result we want. So the the whole social media legal framework is based around, you'll hear more about Section 230 over the coming years, because unfortunately, there's no growing bipartisan agreement on screwing up how speech works on social media. But Mm. the goal of Section 230 is to suggest that if you put out a platform like a Facebook or something like that, Facebook doesn't get to be sued because somebody does something on that platform you know, that's defamatory or whatever, mm-hmm. uh, harassing, yada, yada. That said, those organizations try to not have that on there. That's the terms of service argument that Chris raised. So they they can moderate stuff, but they are not legally liable if they fail to catch something, which seems like a, a good way of doing this. On the left, there are people who complain that this has led to stuff like horse paste being pushed as a COVID cure. Uh, On the right, they say people are, you know, deleting stuff about how the election was stolen by Italian space lasers. And wait, what? So that's, yeah, that's the the prevailing uh, election thing that Hugo Chavez and the Italian space lasers stole. Anyway, the point is, so both sides are now trying to push this, let's get rid of Section 230. And that's bad. And what Texas passed was this bill that said it's now illegal and you can be sued for taking down someone's post on social media for violating, uh, for you know, for based on it violating one of these terms of services, which is a compelled speech issue, but also ridiculously poorly thought out one, which brings us to this past weekend, the events of this weekend, yeah. uh, the mass shooting in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. That was, was being live twitch, live twitched. Obviously, Twitch was like, "Well, this is horrible, and we're taking it down." Yeah, uh, this, I think of within course, two minutes of being, yeah, it, yeah. it went dead. The live, the the feed, they stopped the feed pretty as as quick as they were able to find it. But yeah, right, because and and that's what they, that's what I think a lot of us would say was the appropriate thing to do uh, when you're seeing live footage of a of a. Mass shooting. Murders. That said, this violates Texas's new law that the Fifth Circuit decided was constitutional uh, because you're taking it down based on what to happen. uh, What, you know, you're taking down somebody's thing and violating their free speech in the Fifth Circuit's mind. I don't think it's too much of a shock that even Sam Alito seems to feel that this needs to be reviewed very quickly. I mean, it is kind of a shock that it is kind of a shock that Sam Alito thinks that, but. Happy, happy, glad he's joined the party, at least on one thing. Well, Thomas has said in public before Mm -hmm. that he thinks that these laws are correct. The fact that Alito reached down in emergency pushed this suggests that this is a place where Thomas and Alito may have a break and that Alito may even see this as problematic. There's some daylight between those two, yeah. So just just as a, to clarify, the way this Texas law breaks down, if I go on Facebook, right, and I just like post links to the worst things I could find on rotten.com. Mm-hmm. And then Facebook is like, oh, that violates terms of service. You can't show beheadings. I have a, I have grounds to sue or. Yeah. 
That's ridiculous. That's how it's yes. set up. Yeah. Yes. No, and, and that's the thing. Now, they're going to try, I think, to create uh, – to. It, it's very vague and badly written. I think they're going to try to cobble together a version. Remember when that used to be a reason to overturn this? Right. I think they're going to try to cobble together a version that would carve out stuff like mass shootings and so on and so forth, but keep the whole – if I talk about, hey, let's all get together and – you know, bomb a church that that could stay uh, because they want that part to stay because that's the important public square function of social media to allow militias to come together. And the wild uh, thing is, you don't even have to do like the the metaphoric that oh, this was a metaphoric play on words. They're actually yeah. sciencing my poetics. It's like no, straight up, <laughs> no, we're just yeah, advocating for violence now. <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it, the, the only the way that I can imagine this for like non legal people to like understand what's going on. It's like people understand, like, you know, say you got a lawn, right? Somebody walks on your lawn. You don't like them there. That's trespassing. But let's say you have a, a billboard just set up or like a like a thing where you can put sticky notes and like say hi to your neighbors or have you. And you're like, you can walk on my lawn, but just don't say anything rude, right? And then somebody walks up and is like, oh, I hate gay people. And it's like, it's my board. I don't want this on my board. One, two, I don't want this to be associated with me because it's in front of my house on my property. I take it down. And then a police officer walks up and like, hey, you can't take that down. And like, right. why? It's my mm-hmm. board. And like, no, 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 you can't take that down because your board is popular. And then they're right. like, but wait, what about my neighbor who also has a board who can put up and take up whatever they want? They can do that. And the police officer is like, yes, they can put up and take down whatever they want because they're not as popular as you. Right. Yeah. So this is like penalizing popularity because yeah. because you are so well known, you can no longer freely associate. That, and that, people can put up whatever they want. Right. It's great, ridiculous. Great no, that, that's a great analogy because because the quasi-legal justification of this is, sure, they're a private company, but they are so popular that they basically become a public square and should be treated like the government, which, yeah. They, and just the to idea be clear, that- this means that smaller places like Parler, if I go in Parler and I'm like, oh, maybe trans people shouldn't be murdered in the street, that can be taken down without, yeah. no, without wild abandon. Hey, that's leftist speaking. But if I go on Facebook and I try to, and I take down a, a, a comment where somebody says trans people should be murdered, I welcome, I open myself up to lawsuits. Yeah. And that is entirely the argument uh, because of the way they try to justify it with this public square argument. That is entirely true. And w- moreover, if you ever get in an argument with these people that the stupid stuff they're going to bring up are these, there are some cases where the first amendment has been, you know, we put first amendment restrictions on private companies in the past, but the facts around those are so wildly different than something like a Twitter or a Facebook because they're about, back in the day, there used to be these things like company towns, like coal miners would be mining and the only place they were allowed to live was in a, in a town owned by the company and they could shop in only stores owned by the company with money given to them by the company. And in those sorts of situations, the courts have said, look, the company can't prevent these people from speaking uh, just because they say, oh, we own the only places in town where they could speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a wildly different situation than voluntarily joining Facebook and making it popular. But that's that's the kind of th- those are the case, the line of cases you're going to see in these decisions as more and more of these crazy folks write opinions on this. Anyway, mm-hmm. it's really problematic. You know what else is really popular? Yeah. The DC bar exam. 
Is it popular? Okay. Well, that's that's gonna uh, be uh, a bit of a, a sticking point. I'll uh, I'll quickly run through some of the the facts of what's going on before we get to what I think is the most interesting part of, of this story. Um, and it 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 definitely there's a lot there's a lot going on here. But DC bar exam back in April was like well, there might be some limited seats on the bar exam. No other details. We'll let you know closer to the registration deadline, which is May twelfth. Cool, cool. Uh, May second, they come out and they say uh, we lost our our normal place where we have in-person bar exams because remember last year was uh, all virtual because you know pandemic and so we have this new location we only want to do one location because that's best for test taking and there's going to be 1100 seats don't worry last year there were 2200 people who wanted to take the test that seems like a lot more that's not that's not a great number but they went one further and were like, hey, we're going to give D.C. residents uh, or no, no, folks who attend or have it or have graduated from D.C. Uh, law schools priority for getting seats at the bar exam. Problem is, when the, by the time they said those actual numbers, the registration deadline, because it's a UBE uh, district, by the time they made that clear, many other jurisdictions who also administer the UBE's deadlines had come and gone. So not great. A uh, bit of a, a bit of a happy-ish, not really ending. Um, they decided uh, the end of last week. They decided that there was going to be a secondary location. Another 450 seats would be added. Cool, um, you know, makes it a little bit better. But again, not as many people. That's that's the total number of seats is still fewer than the people who took it in 2020 in person, or, or, or not 2020, but 2019 in person, and all that good stuff. Great. Here's what I think the the sticky little bit of it is. The law school deans of law schools that are not in the District of Columbia were pretty annoyed about all this because their students are about to not be able to take the bar exam. Uh, And, you know, just the kind of the timing of it all is very suspect, very problematic, etc. You know, if you're going to do this, you should let people know so they have plenty of time to make their plans, which seems not unreasonable. But then the D.C. law school deans came out and said, actually, we're the ones who asked for this because, you know, most of our people want to stay in the district. This is only fair, et cetera, et cetera. But the thing that was interesting is they reference in that particular letter, they reference uh, what happened in 2020, which was that New York, because of COVID, had said that they were going to do a similar kind of prioritization for New York law schools. Of course, this all wound up being moot because, you know, the pandemic and it wound up being entirely virtual. But you know, they had made that plan. And when New York made that plan, plenty of law school deans who were not in New York were pretty annoyed about it because their students were the ones that were about to be left out in the cold, which, you know, whatever. But as it turns out, the group of folks who asked for preferential treatment for their students in 2022 in D.C., at least some of them are the same folks who complained about the preferential treatment for New York back in 2020. Four law schools uh, are on both lists. Two specific actual same individuals, both at Georgetown and at Howard, are the exact same folks who signed both letters. So it's very much a, uh, we're against preferential treatment if it hurts us, but totally for it if it helps. <laughs> Which, you know, it's not the most consistent. That is really problematic. The the receipts issue. Uh, yeah, no, it, when New York did that uh, and mm-hmm. said, we're only going to let people from New York schools take the test at the height of the pandemic, it's an unfortunate response, but it seemed to make the most sense. There was a logic uh, there under, for sure. Like the pandemic meant that bad things had to be done to, mm-hmm. to make things work. That made sense. The whining about it, I, I understood and I felt bad for folks who were going to be left out by it. But, you know, the legal system needed people who te- who were 
planning to be local folks to get through as quickly as possible to keep the pipeline going. The right answer would have probably been to have multiple bar exam, more administrations of the bar exam or, you know, real reform that got rid of it or something like that. But, you know, given the situation and when these deans started complaining, I rolled my eyes then. And the fact that they hip, totally hypocritically are now demanding the same treatment is, wow. It, it, you know, there's been a lot of coverage of it. Obviously, it's a big deal. And for folks who are potentially not going to be able to take the bar exam that they've been planning on taking, it's a real big deal. And I feel I feel like they're being, you know, very much jobbed in this whole situation. Um, and, I, and when I'm pointing to other issues, I don't want to sort of diminish the fact that there are definitely people who are going to be screwed by this plan. But the sort of gall, the real gall of like in 2020 being like, this is bullshit. And then turning around in 2022 and being like, remember that bullshit? <laughs> we, right. It helps us now. Let's see. That, that, that's, a, that's a particular kind of hypocrisy. Yeah. No, I, true, true, true. I think we mind that subject. We have mm -hmm. a little bit of time for some other thing to discuss. So, Catherine. Well, you know, it's uh, there's not much really here except for the fact that it happened. But there is a um, a judge who has a penchant for <laughs> handcuffing attorneys in her court, <laughs> uh, which which came out uh, in the form of a public reprimand. Wait, so handcuffing attorneys mm -hmm. in her court? Yeah. Okay, so I, I'm mm -hmm. intrigued as to why the attorneys need to be handcuffed here. Uh, in both, there were two. Two instances were completely unrelated, um, but and they happened within, I think, 10 days of one another. So very, very short period of time in which they both of these incidents happened. But basically, there had been some sort of an argument in the hallway outside of the courtroom. The first one was between the attorney and the attorney's client's mother-in-law. And there were some testy words said whatever outside. They came into the court. The judge was like, what happened? You should apologize and started lecturing the, the, the attorney about decorum. They were like, I'm not going to apologize. Uh, and then she, the judge, had the bailiff escort the attorney to the jury box and shackled him. And proceeded then for, I think, another 20 minutes to, to have the rest of the hearing about there was a protective order. So, you know, not not what one imagines one does. Yeah. Uh, and the other one was a similar situation uh, where it was an attorney whose client was seeking a protective order. They were not representing the client in that particular matter, but were in unrelated matters, but were there for support. The judge and a member of the court staff had words outside in the hallway. And again, the judge wanted to know what happened. The attorney was like, this person was disrespectful for towards me or whatever. And again, there was a lecture. Handcuffs were brought out. Attorney was shackled. In that instance, that attorney's son is also an attorney and came into the court and was like, my dad needs to get out. He has another court hearing. Like, this is ridiculous, whatever. But in neither case did the judge institute any sort of sanctions hearings or anything like that about any of the attorney's behavior, which was also kind of a, a key element here that it sort of didn't raise to that level that there were sanctions or, you know, any of that kind of stuff. Just, you know, why not? Why not lock up an attorney in the jury box? I mean, well, the good news is that this attorney, this judge rather, has lost their uh, primary election, so will not be on the ballot uh, to be a judge in the future. But I guess they can run again. But but yeah, at least in lost the near, their primary. Lost the primary. I smell Hugo Chavez and his <laughs> Italian space lasers. That's basically getting in the way again. That seems right. That seems right. Yeah. It was. It was not 
I listen, I'm not a judge. I've never been a judge. I've never had any any inclination to become a judge of a courtroom. But here's the thing, like you can imagine that there might be some crazy situation where this where handcuffs shackling an attorney might strike you as appropriate. But two within a week, this yeah. just seems like you don't know how to manage your courtroom. You're just like bailiff, lock him up right here right now. That's just not how we do any of these things. I'm impressed that the bailiff kind of unquestioningly does all this stuff. And I understand that's their job, but I feel like, I feel like court officers are, should have a little bit more latitude to go, now hold on a sec. I could be wrong. I haven't seen all the shows, but I just feel like Judge Judy has more control of her courtroom than this. Yeah. I haven't seen any Judge Judy episodes where people get like handcuffed. And those aren't even attorneys. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's fair. Okay, I think that's uh, that brings us to our end. Hey, everybody, you should be subscribed to the show so you get new episodes when they come out. You should give them reviews, stars, write something. It's always good. You should check out other things that we're on. Catherine's the host of a show called The Jabot, uh, a podcast called The Jabot. I'm on a participant in the Legal Tech Week Journalist Roundtable where we talked a lot about clock there, too. You should check out the other shows on the Legal Talk Network. Follow us on our various social medias. I'm at Joseph Patrice on Twitter. Uh, she's at Catherine One. Chris is at Rights for Rent. And Above the Law itself is at ATL Blog. You should be reading Above the Law because that way you can see all these stories and more before we talk about them and recap the week. What else? Uh, thanks to Posh and... Peace. Is it, that that seemed like you jumped the gun. I was clearly like making sure I'd gone through my checklist. Yeah, but I I was I was indicating that. Catherine's right. Peace. All right. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>